The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Well, this evening we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And if you're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, you know that this passage deals with marriage and God's ordained roles within marriage. And there is a great deal of controversy that surrounds marriage in our country today, marriage in our world today. We know this, that um, the definition of what marriage is supposed to be is changing uh, among our laws. And many, many people are adopting a new perspective on marriage. And there's many people who are choosing to just not get married at all and wondering why we have this institution in the first place. And I I guess all of this shouldn't be unexpected when you have a nation that is moving away from God. Um, But here what we want to do tonight is we want to recognize some of the basic truths that surround a Christian marriage. We want to recognize some of the basic truths that marriage was first founded upon. And so the first one is that God created men and women And it was his plan for them to be married to one another. This was God's plan. It was God's idea. God is the creator. And so as the creator, he does get to decide exactly how he wants his creation to to function, to run. And this is how he designed us. He designed us as men and women. He designed us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is God's glorious design for a man and wife to come together as one flesh. Max Lucado said, God created marriage. No government subcommittee envisioned it. No social organization developed it. Marriage was conceived and born in the mind of God. And it's good for us to recognize that. If you say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's what they did in the Old Testament. That's what, that's what they had then. But I'm pretty sure that Jesus would just be okay with whatever. Well, in, G, in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 to 8, Jesus just reiterates what's said there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In Mark 10, Jesus says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. God, Jesus here is just reiterating that the definition of marriage is one man and one woman. That is God's design, God's plan. And so God created men and women, and it was his plans for them to be married to one another. God has the right to define marriage as he pleases, and no government institution has the right to change that definition. Now, you might say, well, they have. And God would say, so what? Really? Do you think that changes what's true in the mind of God? Yeah, absolutely not. And I I think, honestly, that sometimes Christians get so caught up in what the government's doing. Why do we expect the government to follow the laws of God when the government, it's not a Christian government? And so, for us as Christians, we have the responsibility just to simply believe and uphold what we see as true in the Word of God. God also knows best how marriages ought to function. And so part of the fact that God is the creator is recognizing that he made this, he designed it for a specific way, a specific purpose, and he knows best. 
And we are sometimes very foolish when we think that we can recognize God as a creator and this is how it should be, but when it comes to exactly how the specifics work in marriage, we have a better plan than God. Okay? And, and part of us thinking that we have a better plan than God is simply just not going to the word of God to find out what we're supposed to be doing. So you might be sitting back in your marriage and you might be saying, listen, I want to do it God's way. Okay. So how are you going about finding out what that way is? What have you implemented in your life that is you going to the word of God or you following the the example, the discipleship of godly couples who are trying to have a godly marriage based on the word of God? Because sometimes we, we will say with our lips, I want to do it God's way and then make absolutely no effort to do that. And if, if I'm being honest, I'd say you're not actually wanting to do it God's way if you're not trying to, to learn from Scripture how that is done. And so God knows best how marriage ought to function. And marriage is a wonderful reality that points to an even greater truth by design. And so we would be good at the beginning of this to remember that the, the end goal, the end of this whole thing is not simply good marriages that ultimately the end goal is that our marriages will demonstrate to the world what the gospel is. The sacrifice of Christ for his bride, the church, and the submission of the bride, the church, to Christ. That is what it was designed to picture, to be an allegory of. And so this is much bigger than just you and your spouse. This is about you fulfilling God's design for your marriage in your life, and ultimately bringing him glory. Anytime any person speaks about a topic that is both controversial and popular at the time and dear to many people's hearts, there we are bound to offend people. Okay, so I'm saying that tonight, I am likely going to offend you in one way or another. Why? Because, well, this is a controversial topic. It's popular. A lot of people have strong opinions on it. And it is fairly dear to our hearts. So I recognize that. I want you to know that I don't relish in these opportunities. It's not like First uh, Peter. I'm going to preach on First Peter. Why? Because chapter three, I get to speak for six whole verses at my wife, <laughs> and then one about me. Right? That's how that's, I mean, that's how this goes. Right? Six is about the wife, and then one is about the husband. Well, I mean, that's that's really not it. It's not that Pastor and I just love to get up and tell women they're supposed to submit. Okay? I've heard some terrible preachers that that was their attitude. I hope you know that that's not my heart tonight. Okay? All that we're trying to do is see what the Bible says. And then if the Bible tells us to do something, we must submit ourselves to it. And so my goal tonight is just simply to tell you what the Bible says. And the truth is, I really do like telling husbands how they're supposed to act. So if you want to know the verse I'm excited about, it's verse 7. We'll get to that in a bit. So what, I, what I'm telling you tonight and what I'm urging you to do is weigh the biblical evidence here in 1 Peter from elsewhere in Scripture and figure out how your, your marriage is supposed to look. Um, we are both called, husbands and wives, all of us, called to submit to the Word of God. And so you figure out what the Word of God teaches, and then submit yourself to it. And if you believe that I've made some large error in my interpretation of Scripture, I would ask you to talk to me about it after. Okay? I do want to know and want to learn. If, if I'm really wrong here on something, then please talk to me. If you think that the Bible is an old, irrelevant book in our society, and when it comes to marriage, the ideas are archaic and misogynistic, then I would encourage you to look at the marriages around you. 
And which marriages do you know that, are, that seem most fulfilling, that are the happiest? Which marriages do you know that seem like they just they function as they're supposed to? I think this is where that argument breaks down. Because when I look at marriages, when I look at people that I know that are married, and they're just, they love one another like they're supposed to, right? And it's not, it's not just awful chore to stay together. It's not just they're together just because they made a commitment, but they're together because they love each other. And their marriages do represent the gospel well. It, it's always Christian marriages. And I don't find that there are a lot of Christian women who have godly husbands who just hate their role in their marriage. And what I've seen most often is when you have a godly woman and a godly man in a marriage, you have the opportunity for a wonderful marriage between them. And so if, if the Bible's archaic, explain to me why it just works so well. Right? When people follow the word of God, even when unsaved people follow the word of God in the area of marriage and family, it seems to work much better. Okay? Now you might say, well, there's a lot of Christians that have terrible marriages. Yes. That is so unfortunate. And that's because they don't follow the word of God. Right? And they're not going to have a good marriage just because they're Christians. So, all right, let's get into 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Um, the first word here is likewise. I just want to remind you of likewise, what he's talking about. In uh, Two weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, Peter wrote, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the froward. And so Peter is already speaking to them about, having, about this area of submission and submitting to other people. He has already shown us that the servant is of equal value and importance as the master. Right? We're, not, we're not thinking because of what he said that the servant should submit because they're of less value, but simply because that's the role that God has designed for them. And we've seen that Christ submitted himself to the cross that he is this example of suffering, and even suffering wrongfully, and that we are to follow his example. And so last week, we, or a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the call to be a Christian, it's a very high calling. This is not a, an easy thing. Now, yes, you are saved by grace through faith alone, apart from your works. But now as a child of God, we must follow the word of God, and the word of God requires much of us. We are to carry our cross, and part of that is willingly submit to those who God has put in our lives to submit to. That means children, submitting to your parents, doesn't mean they're more important to you. It just means that's what God expects you to do in your life. And so he's on this theme of helping believers understand how to live out the gospel within their relationships. And he's going to continue down this path in chapter 3. Verse 1, he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. And so in the same way that employees who are of equal worth and value as their masters are called to willingly submit to them, wives who are of, a, of equal worth and value as their husbands are called to willingly submit to their husbands. The word here is be in subjection. It is to submit yourself or to put yourself under willingly. This is something that, that wives are called to take upon themselves to do. This is not something that husbands are, in, are called to enforce. You realize that he is speaking to the wives, which is already giving them a measure of power here, right? He's, he's not just saying, husbands, make sure you get your wives under control. 
Now, other religious books say things like that. That's not what, what Peter does. Peter says, wives, this is your role in the marriage. This is how God has ordained marriage. It does not mean that you have no voice. It does not mean that you don't matter. But it does mean that ultimately it is your husband who is the head of the household, and it's your husband who will give an account for you and for your, your children before God. You understand that a lot of this is simply because the responsibility that God has placed on him as the husband and the head of the household. And so you will not give an account for your husband. You don't have to spend all your time fixing him. Right? It's true. I mean, I know it's a crazy thought. We are called to do what we're supposed to do in our marriage. And I think far too often, we think about what our spouse should be doing. And so here is Peter specifically speaking to wives and saying, submit yourself to them. Um, And then he specifically answers a question that he knows is going to come up. Because if we were to say, wives, submit yourselves unto your godly husbands only when they treat you right, then it'd be be not a really difficult command. We probably wouldn't be having this serious conversation about the culture and how I'm going to offend you and all that before the thing. I'd probably just be like, hey, there's something Peter wants to say and this is it. Wonderful. Let's go home. But here he answers the question that's going to come up because the question is, well, what if my husband isn't saved? What if he doesn't follow God? What if he doesn't follow God's rules? What if this is this, he's not in this together with me? Um, and I think this is far too common of occurrence. It seems like there's a lot of women who get saved and their husbands just keep pushing God away. And so what, what do we do in this instance? Well, it's a good question. Um, the highest priority here of Peter seems to be the salvation of the husband. And so he says to her, your actions will speak louder than your words. Okay, they do not obey the word of God. And so by putting verses up all over your house and by constantly telling them that they need to be saved, it's probably not the most helpful thing to do. It actually says they will be saved without the word. They'll be saved. Now, certainly we understand that ultimately they need the word of God to show them their their need of Christ. But what it's saying is you're not going to change their mind simply by bashing them in the head with your Bible constantly. That what you need to do is live it out in front of them. Live out what it means to be a godly wife. Um, Your lifestyle of purity and reverence will do much more toward helping them see the truth than anything else. And it's difficult. This is a really difficult thing. But we must ask ourselves, what are, we, what are we trying to accomplish here? Because Peter's reason for it is not, well, do this because your husband's more important. You just got to do it. You're, the reason is your husband's not saved. And then ultimately, this is what pleases God. And so, We have to get beyond just our fleshly desires and and how we want to react. And this is submitting. It's a difficult thing, but it's a very important thing. Now Peter moves on. He gets specific about what makes for a beautiful wife. So if you're here tonight and you're like, I'm I'm here just because I want to know how to be beautiful. Well, good for you. Verses 3 and 4 do a wonderful job of this. It says, whose adorning, speaking of the wife's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. 
And so there's two ways to read this. The first way is, do not adorn your outward appearance, rather focus only on your heart. The second way of reading it is, put more effort into adorning your heart than your outward appearance. I think it's very normal for a woman to be concerned with their outward appearance. And I do not believe that Peter is forbidding them from doing that. I don't believe that Peter is here saying that you should never do your hair, you should never put on nice clothes. I don't think he's saying that wearing jewelry is just of the devil. I think what he's saying here is you're naturally going to be drawn to do that. right? Because naturally we just think of beauty in those terms. But if you really want to be beautiful, if you want to be pleasing to the Lord, then he says focus much more on your heart and on the beauty of your heart and your character than you do on your outward appearance. So don't, you don't neglect the outward appearance, but you just realize that your focus needs to be much more inward than outward. We learn that more attention should be given to our hearts than our attire or our hair or our makeup. And all of this here is not ultimately about pleasing your husband. Do you notice that? I mean, I think there are actually some husbands that say, no, I just want my wife to be hot. I just want a pretty wife. That's, that's what I want. I'm not really concerned with her character. There might be some husbands like that, maybe. But listen, do you realize that all of this, it's not about your husband? And so if you're thinking tonight, well, God wants me to do all these things simply because he wants my husband to be happy, that's not the case. What he says here is that it, which is in the sight of God of great price. The concern is, how beautiful are you as a wife before your heavenly father? That's what you're concerned with. This puts all women, all wives, on equal footing. There's not one woman, not one wife in this room that is necessarily more beautiful inwardly than another simply because that's God, that, that's how they were designed. Okay? Every single woman has the opportunity to pursue inward beauty. That's a wonderful thing. This meek and gentle, quiet spirit that he's speaking about, this beauty of the heart, something that we can all aspire to, that all women can aspire to. And so it is a wonderful thing. We all have the potential to be beautiful and of great value in God's eyes. Move on to verse number five. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So he says, this is how godly women in the past, this is how women who followed the Lord throughout the Old Testament, this is how they acted. This is how they adorned themselves. They've made themselves attractive by placing their faith in God and as a result of placing their faith in God, they willingly submitted themselves to their husbands. Now, I can understand if you read that and your first reaction is, I am never calling him Lord. <laughs> That's not happening. And I got to tell you, for the first few weeks, it was kind of weird in our house when, you know, <laughs> we got used to it, you know. I'm kidding. <laughs> she would never do that either. <laughs> but I, I think that, I think we got to understand what, what Peter's getting at here. Peter is taking, in their culture, we think of Lord as like Lord Jesus. Like, like every time we're referring to Lord, we're referring to like the most powerful, awesome thing ever. But for them, 
Lord was just anybody that, was pla- that you were placed in submission under. So calling him Lord was just a title of respect. Um, and, and we do these things today, maybe not to this extent, but there are a lot of times we say things, we use a nickname for somebody, and it's a nickname that's a very endearing, but it, what it's doing is it's telling them what they mean to us. And so you might, you might, as a husband, call your wife babe or honey or gorgeous or beautiful. And what you're doing is you're just showing them, even in the title, that you love them, that you care. And so by Abra- Sarah calling Abraham Lord, it wasn't that she thought of him as like, you're just so much more awesome than I am. Abra- Sarah was very, very aware of Abraham's downfalls. She was very aware of Abraham's lying to the king. Of, uh, I mean, she knew that he was not a perfect husband. But she called him Lord because she understood her position as a wife to willingly put herself under. And so it was just a title of respect, of endearment. And, and that was a, not a bad thing. I think we can understand that better. And so verse number seven, we finally get to the men. Verse seven, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I was telling Samantha before the service that there was six verses for the wives and one verse for the husband. And like, right, it didn't phase her at all. Right away it was like, that's because they can't handle very much. <laughs> like, yep, that's true. Here God has made it very simple for us, guys. Husbands, lo- dwell with them according to knowledge. Make an effort to understand them. If you're a husband, you've, you've definitely been in a situation where you're like, I know she's upset, but I have no idea why. I have no idea what's going on in her head right now. Or I know she wants something, but, I mean, you're going through the list, right? Clothes, is she hungry? Like, did I not, did I forget something? Is it her birthday? And it, like, we, we struggle. But, but struggling isn't a cause to quit. It's not, a, it's not say, well, I, I just don't get them and so I'm done. Because what Peter's saying here is, guys, you have a responsibility to dwell with them according to knowledge, to try and learn, to try and understand them, to try and understand their needs, what, what they need to feel protected and safe, what they need from you as a husband. Okay? Don't be selfish in this thing. I think sometimes we just assume that, that our marriages are about ourselves. And so, guys, you, you get your wife is upset, you don't understand why, and so it's, just, it's, it's not about her. You're just consumed with what is making you happy. And because you can't figure it out, you're done with it. It's not a good attitude. The attitude should be, listen, I don't get it now, but I want to learn. And, and there's many ways we can do this. One of the greatest ways we can do this is just learn to communicate. If we learn to talk to our wives... Solve so many problems. If we would learn to look at other men, how do they deal with their wives? And I'm talking not just your buddy. Okay, A lot of times what we do is we have um, problems in our relationships or, or we just have issues in our lives. And the first thing we do is find the person who's going through the exact same thing right now. And that's not a good solution. Because what you're doing is you're just going through the person who, ha- who also doesn't have the answers. Okay, Because they're going through it for the first time. What you should do is find somebody that's that's more mature than you, that's, that's more godly, that has been in the thing for a while, and they have a good marriage. Don't find people to help you raise your kids that, that haven't raised godly kids. I mean, 
let's, let's have some wisdom in this. Find people who've done it right and figure out what they did. And so that's one of the ways we can learn to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. Um, he says, give honor to them as unto the weaker vessel. Ladies, this is not a backhand compliment. Um, he's not calling you weak. What he's saying is, give honor to them because they're so precious. They're so valuable. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he might have no need of spoil. If us guys would just realize the value of our wives, how incredible it is that God has give, given us this help me to complete us, we'd be so, so much better off. There was a time in all of our relationships where we looked at our spouses and said, I can't believe that she's with me. I can't believe that God has allowed her to be blinded to who I am. <laughs> um, if we would just sometimes go back to, to, not that, but go back to like, God, thank you. How often have you thanked your, your God for your spouse? Right? If we would think that way, we'd be so much, so much better off. I think I've said that too many times, but we really would be. And so we give honor to them. We recognize their value. Um, Peter is calling husbands to protect and to cherish their husbands, to open the door for them, to put their needs first. Okay, be gentlemen. He goes on and he says, you are joint heirs in the grace of this life. I think what he's saying here is that we are, first of all, both made in the image of God. We're joint heirs. We're, we're, we're at the same level here. We're made in the image of God. We're both granted this opportunity for life by God. We're both on equal footing before the cross. We are both heirs of eternal life, both children of God. And so he's saying that you are in this together. She was not created for your pleasure. She was not created just to, to make you happy. Right? She is a child of God. And you are a joint heir now in her, in the grace of this life. You live this life together with her on equal footing. God has placed you together. And so live with her in knowledge. Live with her by honoring her, by lifting her up as something very precious. And then he says, and this is how he ends here. He says that your prayers be not hindered. And I love that he says that. Because isn't it interesting that the way that we treat our wives affects whether or not God hears our prayers. What does that say about how God looks down on his daughters? Now, someday, I will give Avery away to be married to someone, right? It's likely going to happen someday. So I can imagine having a conversation with her future husband saying, hey, listen, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm happy that you're going to marry my daughter, and uh, you know, I'm glad she's found a guy like you. Um, but if you ever don't treat her right, we are going to have problems. Right? Not everything is going to be okay between you and me if, the, if you don't treat her like you're supposed to. And that's a little bit of what God is doing here, isn't it? He's saying your prayers will be hindered if you're not treating your wife right if you're not acting the way you're supposed to. God loves his daughters. God loves his princesses. And so we should treat them with the respect they deserve. 
So tonight, by way of application, I want to address four things. First thing I want to address is the elephant, right? The elephant in the room, which is, does Christian marriage demean women? Is the Bible misogynistic? And my answer is absolutely not. Um, I don't believe it does. I believe Christian marriage is a beautiful thing that is designed to both recognize the worth and the value of women while protecting them and honoring them for their unique contributions to the marriage. Um, I think an honest understanding of Scripture is much more kind to women than any culture in the past and any culture in the present. I, I think when we actually try and honestly determine what the Scripture says about marriage, we will come out with just this wonderful picture of what, what women and men bring to the marriage and how they are equal value and importance and how it just works beautifully together when it's done the way God intended. Okay? And, and I can understand why some people will go to the Bible and they'll use a proof text here and a proof text here and they'll say, look, at God thinks less of women than men. I, I can understand why someone would do that. Okay? But what I'm saying is when we go at the Bible honestly and we try to determine all of what it's saying, that we will realize that some of the reason that we assume the Bible is misogynistic is simply because our culture has, has trained us to think that way and not because it's actually better for women the way our culture does it now. If you were to, to look at our culture nowadays and say, well, how well do we treat women? I don't think it would be very good, right? Even in things where it's like, oh, we, we need to make sure that um, women can have the exact same careers and all those things as men. Now, I'm not against, in any way, shape, or form, allowing women to have careers. That's fine. But what our culture has done is it demeans the wife who thinks that she should stay home and raise her family. That's problematic, right? Because that isn't an unimportant role. In fact, that's an incredibly important role. I think a role that a wife does much, much better than a husband. And so what I'm saying is we, we got to allow the word of God to uh, direct our thinking rather than just being swayed by our culture. Um, we live in a culture that neglects to protect women from men who would have them believe they are objects. That is what our culture is like. Everywhere you turn, women are being presented as objects it, to sell anything. How do you sell insurance? I don't know, you put a woman in a, in a tiny outfit. It's, it's all, all over the place. That's not protecting women. We are in a culture that makes women believe that there is one certain way to be beautiful, there is one type of beauty, and that's all that matters. And that's just unfortunate. Because God the Creator says there is much more to beauty than just how you look on your outside and whether your waist is so big and how tall you are, and et cetera, et cetera. We live in a culture where we expect the women to bear the responsibility of the men and the wife to be the man and the wife. And that's, many, many homes are characterized by this. That the wife goes out and she works hard and she earns a living and then she comes home and she takes care of everything at home. And she bears all the responsibility. And I don't think that's better for the wife, personally. I don't think that's valuing them like they should be. And so I don't think our culture has it figured out. I, I do believe that the Word of God does. All right, so that's addressing the elephant. I have more, but we'll stop there. Let's address the wife. I know I'm not qualified for this, so I'll keep it short. God has designed you to be co-heirs with your husband, 
And in his design, he has given you a place of submission. Culture has equated that with inferiority, but the Bible never does. Okay? God does not. In the Bible, God references why women are to submit, not because they're less valuable, but because that is God's design in creation. That is creation order. When we're made after man, women were made to be a helpmeet for the man. Um, we're both made in the image of God, equally valuable, equally worthwhile. But the design that God has ordained is for women to submit to their husbands. Christ submitted to his Father. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. So submission does not equal less valuable. A lady named Elspeth said, Christian women have come to believe on one hand we're always to treat others in the way we want to be treated, and on the other hand, that doing this for our husbands makes us a doormat. And we've got to understand that women are never called to be a doormat, ever. However, living in your God-ordained role the way that God wants you to is not being a doormat. Treating your husband with respect and submitting to him that's not being a doormat according to the word of God. Okay, your husband cannot lead well without your permission. You're in this together. He has no enforcement mechanism. He is not supposed to force you to submit. He can't yell louder or hit you or do anything like that. And so this is your decision. And can I tell you something? I think that Peter is right that men respond well to godly women. I think that even as base as we are sometimes, when we see a woman who has this gentle spirit about her, we recognize value there. And we respond well to that type of thing. And so I really think that, that following the word of God here is your best bet. If you're a wife who doesn't have, your husband's not saved, I think that's your best bet. I think what the word of God says here, just try and live out the gospel in front of them. Okay? Don't hit them over the head with the Bible always, but just, just submit um, in reverence, be gentle. Remember, this is all about pleasing your heavenly father. It's not all about your husband, right? And sometimes you look at your husband and you're like, I don't want to do that for him. And I get that. I really do. <laughs> Some of you are married to guys I would, I would never want to do anything for, right? It's probably me too. It's not about your husbands, okay? Now let's address the husband. This is where it's more fun. God has designed us to be co-heirs with our wives. And in his design, he has given us a place of submission. All right? We are to submit as well. We are to submit to the Lord. And in marriage, we are to submit to the Lord by loving our wives as Christ loved the church and gave herself for it. We are to submit to the Lord by leading our homes in a way that is, that is godly. So I hope we're getting here that it's not that men lead and women submit. It is that we both submit to God in whatever he has given us to do. And for us, submitting to God means leading our homes well. And the whole leading where it's like sacrificial leading, where you put your wife first and her needs first, that's not easier, I don't think. That is you constantly saying, what is best for my family? What is best for my wife? How can I give up my needs in order to serve them better and to, to bring them closer to the Lord? That's a very difficult thing. That's how we are called to live as men. 
We are tr- to treat her as our greatest treasure. And we're to teach our sons to do the same, to have respect for women. Guys are, are, are relatively easy to figure out, right? We always, you know what we want almost all the time. And women are, seem to be much more difficult. But guys, we need to focus on dwelling with them according to knowledge. We need to focus on learning to communicating to communicate well with our wives. Um, I think if we were to just try and communicate with them, this would show them, first of all, our desire to know them. It shows them that we care about them, that we're concerned about what they're concerned about, that we're there to protect them, that we're there to help them. All of those things are essential for a good marriage. Wherever you find marital failure, you will find a breakdown in real communication. Wherever you find marital success, you will find good communication. It's just a fact. A lot of people, they give lists about what are the biggest problems in marriages today. It's either adultery, pornography, money, etc. But can I tell you something? Almost always before those things happen, communication breaks down. Very, very few marriages communicate well. And we should really focus on that. R.C. Sproul says, to solve a marriage problem, you have to talk with each other about it. Choosing wisely the, saint, wisely the time and the place. But when accusations and lengthy speeches of defense fill the dialogue, the partners are not talking to each other, but past each other. Take care to listen more than you speak. If you still can't agree on a solution, consider asking a third party with, without a vested interest to mediate. The saying is, it's not just let problems come into our marriages and never deal with them. Let's learn to communicate with each other. And if that means taking a time and a place and just doing it, then do that. If it means finding somebody to help you through it, then do that. But learn to communicate. I think ultimately, guys, this is... This is our burden to bear, where it's our, it's, we have the responsibility to say, here's something that's not right in my marriage, and I'm going to go try and figure out how I can fix it in a godly way. And so us guys, we need to step up and take that responsibility. Finally, let's help our wives work on their inward beauty. Let's encourage them in that way. Um, I know women like to know that they have pretty hair and pretty eyes, but I, I think that women also like to know that you like their personality, that you like to be with them, right? And so let's, let's try and compliment them for those things, right? Show them that they're valuable to us. William Penn said, in marriage, be wise, prefer virtue before beauty, and the mind before the body. When thou hast a wife, a friend, a companion, and a second self. And that's, that's what, what can happen. So that is addressing the elephant, the wives, the husbands, and finally, let's just address the team. All right? Let's understand that we are a team. Um, that God has placed us together, and we've placed us together to bring him glory and to, to allow our marriage to show the world what the gospel is all about. I think a lot of times in marriages, what happens is we just start this pattern of creating problems, and then everything becomes a problem, right? Every time the person does something wrong, it's just this big issue, this big problem. 
And I think we just need to realize that this is not about us, and every single thing doesn't need to be a problem. I remember watching uh, a interview, and it was a basketball player, and they were they were just going on at length about all of the specifics of their contract, and that they they really didn't like their managers and the team and the coach, but they had these contractual obligations, and so they were going to meet them, but that was it, and they weren't going to put out the effort in practice. They would show up on time, but that was it. And and you listen to that, and you thought. There's not one thing that needs to change here, right? It's just a whole attitude that needs to change. The thing is never going to work out. Even if he thinks he can just keep these certain contractual obligations, it's doomed to failure. He's never going to perform well for the team. He's never going to be satisfied playing for them because it just can't work with that attitude. Maybe what we need to do is just realize that we, we need a whole attitude adjustment in our marriages where it's like I am going to do what I'm supposed to do as a husband or as a wife to please God. I'm going to put the effort in that's necessary. We must represent the gospel with our marriage. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we should wait for someone else to do the right thing before we do. So wherever you find yourself tonight, I encourage you to take that step. We'll conclude tonight with a quote from Martin Luther. I think Martin Luther is often known as a great theologian. He had much to say about marriage and relationships. And he said, there is no more lovely, friendly, or charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. So may we strive to follow 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. to Whatever that means for you, may you seek to glorify God with your marriage. Let's pray.